0: Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 271, I am thrilled to speak with Moira Ware AM, who shares her extensive and practical advice on how we can evolve, shift or reshape the systems that no longer serve us, the systems that are holding current inequalities in place. Moira draws insight from her different roles as a cultivator for ethical fields, activator and facilitator for SHEEO, founder of the Hen House Co-op and co-founder of Collab for Good. Moira provides tangible and achievable actions that we can individually take to be systems change makers, so that collectively we can make a difference. This is Moira's version of Be The Drop. Have you ever heard of brand storytelling but have no idea where to start when it comes to implementing it into your business? Sign up for our free Storytelling for Business email program. We give you the tools to develop strong brand messaging, grab your customers' attention, and how to create a positive sales experience. Register for our free email program to learn how to engage your audience and turn them into customers via narrativemarketing.com.au slash or access the link via the show notes. Moira, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop.
1: It's great to be here, Amelia. Thanks for the invitation. Oh,
0: look, Moira, you have been on my hit list and not a bad hit list, an interview (laughs) hit list, let me just uh, qualify that, uh, for a long time because you wear many hats and do many fabulous things and I'm really excited to get this opportunity to talk to you and unpack those. So to get us started, we've got a big um, umbrella topic that we're going to talk about, which is systems keeping inequality in place and how we can address those because of those many hats, though that theme runs central. But to get us started so we can understand about the heartbeat of Moira and what is it that drives you, is there some story or a moment, maybe an aha moment, or something that you could share with us that was a pivotal moment that really made you understand that this is the core for you?
1: So I was a brownie. Um, Some people who are in the guiding and scouting movement will know what that means. It doesn't mean that chocolate, fudgy, delicious thing. Um, And um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of, you know, what's the calling, what's the vocation and what do you get called to? So when I was in the brownies, I was a sixer, which means that you had five other... Little girls that I was responsible for to get them to go to where they needed to go next, whether they get their cooking badge or to go on a hike or whatever it might be, sing a song. And so that was I was pretty young, like I was about seven when I was a sixer, and I truly think that um, someone, somebody, some brown owl out there knew that um, I had some leadership qualities and saw it and invited me into that role and. and I've always been um, a team builder and a community builder. In fact, I find it really hard to use words like I or me and I'm practising how to do that in this um, 21st century. But essentially, I think the the vocational call was really to help people organise and mobilise and shift whatever was holding them back. And sometimes that's whole systems that get in the way and it means we need to make new systems, new ways of doing things. Um, And then other times it's about um, the individual themselves, like what do they need to shift inside and what I've learnt as I'm now in Act 3 in my 60s, as um, Jane Fonda calls it Act 3, I think what I'm learning is that um, what we need in these times is that transformation and that's transforming self to transform systems or in fact maybe get rid of Make new systems so I'm really interested in all of those things Um, so I think it's way back in the um, last century when I was a little girl realizing that um, I could make something happen so I had an experience of being empowered and the the contribution I made helped others take a step forward too.
0: Oh what a wonderful story to get us started and then you've mentioned our core topic around systems that hold inequality in place and what we can do as individuals and collectively to address that. But it's a that's a big call, big comment. And we do hear conversations around that. But I'd really like to unpack a little bit and understand from your perspective, what does that mean? You know, how do we avoid the overwhelm of such a big statement?
1: You have a look. If you're listening to this at lunchtime, have a look what's in your lunchbox or on your lunch plate. And it's a complex system, right there. You know, you've got you can have food that's been organically grown. You'll have food that's come many, many miles, maybe from another country. You'll have food that has a recipe that is has been made up that day. It might be improv for what's left in the fridge. Or it might be a really old recipe that's been handed down through generations. You'll have food that's been homegrown. It'll be a mixture of things and that's essentially what a system is. It's all of the, that complexity come together. When you put your fork or your mouth into a bite, then you get all those flavours and tastes. Um, and that's what a system is. Um, it is a complex set of things, but it doesn't mean that you can't unpick it. Just as you look at the salad and the, the uh, all the bits that are in it, you can actually identify specific things and we know that um, and it's a bit like perfume too is the other one I often say is that you know one drop can fill a whole room and that's because of the complexity of that essence that's been distilled down and that's the job I think that um, I like to have in the world of trying to understand how to unpick those things but also to create some new essence some new perfumes for the world.
0: I mentioned earlier that you have multiple hats that help you do that. So I'd love to – we'll just go through some of those because I'm really fascinated by the layers that you've incorporated into this aim to unpack systems and review them and look at either getting rid of replacing um, or evolving them. So one of the first ones is ethical fields. That's where you provide consulting. Can you tell us a little bit about – what that layer brings.
1: Yeah, so that helps me be a bit disciplined. <laughs> it also helps to bring in some income to pay the bills. And um, so, at Ethical Fields, what we're really on about is trying to do community wealth building so whole communities can own and deliver the products and services that are important to them. So, there's lots of mutuals. One of the initiatives that's come out of Ethical Fields in the last 12 months is to create a regen farmers mutual, and they're in the middle of their raise at the moment, which is very exciting. Uh, And then um, it's also community wealth building and also to look at transition, things that are happening around energy and uh, around communities who are wanting to, um, you know, adapt to perhaps the change. You know, those communities in regional Australia in particular who, you know, tourism's been a big impact on them through COVID. So those little country towns that were relying on tourists, what what can they do to transition in this world where people perhaps aren't travelling as much? Uh, in fossil fuel towns where there's been lots of um, people digging things out of the ground and that's not going to work anymore either so what kind of new roles and responsibilities and economic models so very much based on the economics and that's really been um, foundational for probably a lot of the all my the other hats as well I think that um, um, deep down I'm a feminist I believe that the personal is political and that it's in the economic empowerment where we can actually shift a lot of these conditions and
0: Mm. and the the mutuals and co-op model are about collaborating for an economic benefit for community Mm. so that as you say that's a very foundational step that's going to take you into these next ventures Um, and I'll I'll go next to CEO because we're here today um, for the forum for CEO and we're going to be hearing about the finalists that are going to be funded through that model what a fabulous organisation and you were instrumental in getting that into Australia and starting it here in South Australia. Tell us why you are so passionate about this model. What is it about this model that helps in addressing systems?
1: So the thing I'm most excited about Shio is that um, venture capital worldwide only about 3 to 4% goes to female founders and I just that doesn't happen by accident. That's a design problem. So ShiO is shifting that with a, new, with a perpetual fund. So the women who contribute their financial contribution $1,000 a year, wherever you are in the world, and that goes back into a perpetual pool of funds. So the ventures get a, a distribution of that, and then they've got five years to pay it back at no interest. So that um, revolving credit is not a new idea, but it's a new idea in the world of venture capital. It's also a new idea in how we decide as a community. So participatory budgeting is well known in particularly in South America. Um, But what happens in this case is the people who have made the contribution, they are the ones that choose and select the five initiatives for each year. What's exciting about that is that whoever gets picked is actually a reflection of what we value at the moment. And, um, and you'll see in the um, selections this year, and given this is going out after it's all been announced, I can tell you that um, two of the ventures are women in First Nations. One is a, a, a woman who's come from an Asian background and then the other two are in your, what I would call, your more typical uh, white Australian experiences. So that just goes to show already that's quadrupled, probably more, probably tenfold actually, the contribution of funds that are going to women of colour in our country. Because um, while it's 4% for white women, it's like 0.0001% for women of colour who are getting those kind of funds. So we want to shift that. And that's a, that's a system shift that we can make by the good design of a model, an economic model, to help make new things happen for all of us and there are women who also want to work on the sustainable development goals so that's another system that gets shifted when you start to be involved with Geo.
0: and it's so interesting because as you're talking you know and we're addressing we're talking about systems that maintain inequality it's quite clear that these are tangible outcomes tangible changes which are really shifting the focus of systems in a way because these, as you say, this model has existed before but it's the reapplication of that model that's actually changing the balance of inequality.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the reapplication and it's also, we then start to co-create what the next version of that could look like and that's what really excites me. I am, you know, it's the art and craft, if you like, of economics as opposed just to a mathematical equations.
0: Mm. and another hat you wear is with the hen house and chooks
1: chooks began um on my couch my red couch nearly five years ago now and i was just thought there might be a few people interested in what closing the gender investment gap looked like so we're asking ourselves what would it look like to divest from patriarchy and can we make this revolution irresistible
0: Mm, and can we how do we like they are really good questions what are your thoughts on that how do we make this proposition irresistible
1: I think we have to make it we've got to bring art and craft and culture definitely to it we've got to make it attractive Uh, we've got to make it um, bold and brave enough that people go I'd like to do that so we've definitely had um, lots of historically we've had so many fabulous movements worldwide and in more recent time things like me too and black lives matter are very inspirational um, xr the extinction rebellion uh, who have made the cultural challenges in and a lot of people say oh you know what we need is someone elected to parliament and i can truly say that no social change has happened because someone got elected to parliament If we look historically to people like Martin Luther King and to Gandhi and Malala and Greta, they're all making changes and have made historically. They haven't had to be elected. It's movements that make the difference. It's people that make the difference coming together. And so that's what I'm interested in doing and that's what the Hen House is all about.
0: You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, I've never heard systematic change sound so approachable, so achievable so doable and so not overwhelming.
1: I think what often makes it uh, overwhelming is we don't know what to do. And so in the hen house, we're really trying to give some really practical everyday things that you can do. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're someone who's, um, you know, just giving out the pocket money at home. Just make sure your boys and girls get the same amount. Now, you wouldn't think that that wouldn't happen, but it still doesn't happen in every household. Um, if you're an employer, make sure that there's d- gender discrimination bias bias. Addressed, you know, offer training, uh, have a look at what might be possible in employment. We know, for instance, that if women are in the final shortlist equally, they're more likely to get the job. But if they don't get into the shortlist in the first place, nearly always it will be a man that will get the job. Women will get asked um, questions about their past when they get interviewed. Men will get asked questions about their future. So, if um, if you're listening to this and you're on the next interview panel, just... Just you know, mix that up a bit and see what you notice happens differently.
0: Mm. And interesting in, in this conversation around how we make changes, how we change the patriarchy and ha- how we make systematic changes to address inequality, conversations or a barrier that I have experienced around the conversations about this is the feeling of blame, say for example, men on the Me Too movement, but it's not me, I haven't done that, I didn't contribute to that, and then that's a shutdown of that conversation. What are your tips for navigating that conversation in an open and inclusive way, regardless of gender, so that there's not an us and them, a me, men versus women scenario? How do we have that those styles of conversations where there is a change of power. We are going. Yes, there needs to be an imbalance of an inequality, but it's not about losing. It's about bringing up. H- how do we do those conversations without the that pushback barrier? Yeah,
1: there'll always be people that will push back. So that's the first thing we have to kind of grit discri- our teeth and live with. But I, my experience is, if you take it to the highest level, so what does it mean to be human? and that's about everyone having a fair go so is it really fair that only seven men own as much in the world with their wealth as like 93% of the rest of the planet oh, I'm not sure that's really fair does that sound fair to you um so I always think it's useful to you know like we're all in this together do you have a mum do you have a sister um, how have you why don't you just ask them what it's like for them And it's fascinating when men actually do that, they come back and say to me, I had no idea that my mum still has her keys in her hand as she goes to the car at night just in case someone hits her or trips her up or tries to steal her purse. We don't have those conversations with our men either easily. So I encourage men to ask the people, the women that they love and know in their lives, what's it like for you? Have you ever been into a room where you have been talked over? And so that way what happens is those stories and that exchange becomes very human and relational it's not big and far away it's really close to home and most men know some woman or love some woman who has had something awful happen to them
0: mm, so have those conversations but and keep them local and connected to keep people
1: connect to keep them relational because this is getting back to that basic feminist principle of the personalist political if people can understand the relational nature of this it's not as scary and it's more scary because it's so close to home. You can't say that's something happening to someone else.
0: In your last hat is CoLab for Good because you, you've got, this is a lot that you've got going on as we're talking through all these layers. Um, and CoLab for Good, we recently spoke with Sarah Gunn, who's one of the three with Amy Orange as well. And that you've started up and within that you've got Impact Chains, the event. What, what is the layer of Collab for Good for you?
1: So Colab for Good is for me is this incredible rich love from uh, Amy and Sarah. So the three of us came together because we really wanted to support one another as social entrepreneurs and also we're very, very different. We've got very different trajectories into this world uh, and into this work and we, but we know that we're stronger together. Uh, and we also know that um, generally speaking if you don't have co-founders it's a much, much harder road to row. Uh, we know too that we can gather intelligence because we're out in three different worlds. And then when we come back together, we we chat and work out what we know and what how we can be really strategic. So we see CoLab for good. It's a social impact and social enterprise intermediary here in South Australia. And we think that because we can be more strategic together than we ever could have been apart... And so this is the secret sauce that we have between us. And impact chains is our um, reflection on all of that, what we're seeing. We know that a lot of the systems that exist um, and conferences generally, you know, they'll have a panel and people will talk about what they did and they'll go home. But we know that people actually learn best uh, and are transformed through the experiential and the immersive experience is even best. So, impact change is an immersive experience. We're bringing people together to actually do and feel and think and move and listen and smell and taste what it means to um, be a real systems change maker. Uh, so, it's got all the ingredients of that um, First Nations food. Um, a reflection on our power and privilege. It's at the old Adelaide jail, so we are really saying, is this the old way, these old paradigms? Is this the way we want the future to be? What would we need to do different so we don't end up here again?
0: So we've talked a lot about your collaborative focus and CoLab for Good is a great example of bringing the power together of people that have talents and outside of your own so that you, you really have that collective strength. At the beginning, you also mentioned, though, that you're working on getting better at the word I and me. Now, I think this is a really important aspect and probably, you know, I'm a female, so my lived experience more so for women because I think it very traditionally and maybe innately, I'm not sure, um, nature versus nurture, but we give and we nurture others you know, very easily, certainly that's been my own experience, but having time and going, oh, what do I want? What do I need? Even asking myself that question, I'm like, oh, I don't know. So tell me about that experience for you.
1: I think it's about being grounded and being empowered. Um, so Sarah, one of my co-founders and co-lab for good, um You know, she's a great yoga teacher. So, you know, like standing in warrior pose, you don't actually have an army. When you stand, it's you who's in the warrior pose. Now, the army might come behind you or alongside of you. Um, Your friends can do all of that. Your community can do all that. But, you know, like having a baby, the only person that's doing the pushing to get that child out is you. And so this is like the inner eye inside of me. I have to do that work so that I can arrive... Uh, with my best self as a contribution to the rest of the world rather than a diminished version of myself so the more fully I am embodied in my own you know vocation and my own sense of self then the better I'm going to be serving others
0: and you know all of these threads weave in together to that core passion around addressing systems that are you know keeping inequality in place and in that same way keeping power with the same select few and that's part of that that change. So in conclusion then though, what would you say is the core? So I, I generally finish by asking for a be the drop tip and that's your top tip for motivating and inspiring but in this one your top tip around how to address systematic change how to be a systematic change maker
1: i think you need to put on your systems change lens as if they're glasses and that when you see something have a think about what is all connected to that you know we can get into really practical things like you know not using plastic straws you know as as a a solution and that's a you're a systems change maker if you're doing that you're shifting you know things out of the ocean you're changing what how you spend your money you're modeling to other people in the world what you value and they can see it so I think it's also about how we see ourselves so that that those lenses you put on the glasses you put on to look outwards and also to look inwards to yourself
0: thanks for joining me for another episode of be the drop